We're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. The title of the message this morning is Walking by Faith in the Hope of Heaven. Walking by Faith in the Hope of Heaven. Um, we can walk in strength and boldness and confidence throughout this life because we have an earnest hope and expectation that this life isn't it, right? That, that we, have, we have a hope that goes beyond this life. We have, we have an eternal hope um, in heaven. And so we're going to study verses 1 through 10, but just want to give a little bit of context before we jump into that. Um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul was addressing the church of Corinth. And if you know anything about the church of Corinth, you know there was some messed up things happening there, right? There, there was a, a lot of stuff that Paul was needing to correct. But in 2 Corinthians in particular, um, Paul was addressing a number of charges that were being brought against him. And so it went something like this. People were, would say things like, well, you know, Paul is insincere. Paul is not sincere in his ministry toward us. He's not sincere as a pastor or as an apostle. Um, he's really only doing ministry for the things that he can get out of it. So it's, it's a selfish um, ministry that Paul has toward us. And so in chapter 4, the immediate context of this, right before this passage, Paul was talking about how, listen, I haven't handled the word of God deceitfully. I haven't done this in a way that, that was duplicitous. I haven't done this in a way that was um, in any way deceitful. In fact, he says there in chapter 4, as a result of my preaching the gospel and being an apostle, I've faced a ton of persecution. Um, so I've suffered greatly for this. It hasn't, it hasn't been for my benefit on a worldly standpoint. He says things like, you know, I've, I've been hard-pressed, but not crushed. I've been perplexed, but not in despair. I've been persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. If you want to turn there to chapter 4, just maybe flip a page back. He says this in verses 16 through 18. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. He says, we don't lose heart. Though, in a worldly sense, um, we're perishing, right? The inward man, uh, that new creation that the Lord has made, is being renewed day by day. Verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we do not look to the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So Paul says, I've not been deceitful. Um, I've not just been um, giving you the word of God through selfish ambition. I've been doing this, and I've, I've suffered greatly for it. However, I don't lose heart, he says. Why is that? Verse 17, he says, for our light affliction... It's for a moment, it's working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. This temporary affliction that we face in this life is actually working for our glory in eternity, Paul says. It's like Paul, he's saying, like, if you put your afflictions on a scale as followers of the Lord, um, the weight of glory far outweighs the affliction that we could possibly face in this lifetime. Um, this is the, the picture that Paul gives us, and it's with that context in mind that we move into chapter 5. So Paul is defending himself as an apostle, and he's also saying, um, I've suffered for the gospel, but I'm not losing heart at this. And in fact, it's working out um, for my glory in the end, right? And so he moves into chapter 5, verse 1, and he says, For we know 
that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so he begins there in verse 1, and he's talking about our earthly house. This tent is what he refers to it, right? Um, and he's saying if this tent is destroyed, or, or some translations I think say if this tent is taken down, right? That's what we do with tents. We build them. We take them down. They're not permanent structures. Um, we have a building from God. We have a permanent structure um, from the Lord. So he's comparing something that's temporary with something that is eternal. So this tent, this body is a temporary body, and yet the Lord is preparing for us something that is permanent, a building from God, eternal in the heavens. Uh, you know, growing up, I did a lot of tent camping with my family, and, it, you know, I really loved it. Um, and uh, we lived in New Mexico, and there's like a lot of mountains, and so we would go all over the place, and I'd go hunting with my dad, and sometimes we'd be out in the woods sleeping in a tent for up to two weeks. Has anybody ever done that? You know, more than a week in a tent is like, I'm ready to be done. <laughs> you know, like, I'm ready to go home to a permanent structure, right? Like, uh, it was always fun, but it wouldn't be fun if it was like, yeah, I'm not going home after this. This is it, right? It, it, would, be, it would be kind of a bummer. It'd be like, well, this is it. I'm, I guess I'm sleeping on the ground forever. I'm in, I'm in a structure that's not very sound. The wind can whip it around, you know. Um, you know, there was always something really sweet about breaking down that tent and knowing I'm going to go home and sleep in my own bed tonight underneath my roof. Like, it's going to be better than this. Well, that's the picture that Paul is painting for us. He says, this, this is a tent, that's going to be taken down. Um, and what does that mean? Well, we're not going to be in these bodies forever. We have an eternal hope that's awaiting us, a building, a, a permanent structure from God that's not suitable only for a lifetime. He says that it's eternal in the heavens. So this is what we have to look forward to as Christians. This is our, our confident hope and expectation that we have a building from God that is waiting for us, a new body that's suitable for eternity. And this is, this is something that is exciting. This is something that, that should permeate our, our thoughts and minds, right? Because, yeah, we're going to die. This tent's going to be taken down, but the Lord has prepared something better for us in eternity. He says there in verse 4 that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We have new bodies awaiting us, right? This is something that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. Why don't you guys actually turn over there to 1 Corinthians 15, just a few pages back. Paul in this chapter was speaking about the resurrection, and some people were asking things like, well, if Christ is risen from the dead, and if we have eternal, like, what kind of bodies are we going to have um, in heaven, right? And he says this, 1 Corinthians 15, starting there in verse, um, halfway through verse 42, he says, the body, so this tent, is sown in corruption, and it is raised up in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised up in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So he says, like as a seed is sown in the ground, a seed goes into the ground and dies and then it's... Um, then a, a plant is formed, right? And so he says in the same way, um, this body sown in corruption, it's going to be incorruptible. You read down, starting in verse 53, he goes on with this thought and he says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? So he's saying, even though this body dies, death will be swallowed up in victory, and we have an eternal hope awaiting us. Though this tent will be torn down, we have an eternal and everlasting hope, right? This hope of resurrection, the, the hope that our, our new bodies in heaven will not be subject to corruption, will not be subject to rot or decay um, or entropy. In fact, death is going to be swallowed up in victory, Paul says. And this is the hope that we have um, as believers, that this life isn't all there is. It, this isn't all that there is. We have the confident hope and expectation that we're going to be with Jesus. And then he's going to provide us with a building it's not just a tent, it's a permanent structure that is good for eternity. In verses 2 through 4, Paul says, this is something that we groan for, right? We, we, we long for this. We, we long to be clothed with this habitation from heaven, he says, right? We don't expect to be unclothed in heaven. What is he saying? Well, he's just saying, we're not going to be just bodiless spirits. The Lord is going to provide for us a body that is suitable for eternity, and he says, we groan for this. We long for that time when this temporary dwelling place will be replaced by that which is immortal and eternal and incorruptible. You know, I'm getting a little older. I'm in my mid-30s, and um, everybody always said that this would happen. Like, when you hit your 30s, like, you're going to feel it in your body. You know, and, you know, in my 20s, I'm like, I feel pretty good. Like, your teens, you're like, that's not even a thought. I'm in my 30s, and I'm like, oh, man, I, I, like, I just moved, and now my neck is tweaked. Like, I don't understand. Like, I wasn't even doing anything strenuous. Like, this never used to happen to me. It takes a lot longer to heal my body now. Like, like I can tell that my body is getting older. And in a sense, my body is groaning for the habitation from heaven. And I'm told... It only gets worse from here, right? Like, so maybe some of you older saints can attest to this. Like, it, it just gets worse after this. Like, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, like, your, your body just begins to break down. And more and more, listen, this, this should be a, a thing of, yeah, it's a bummer that my body is like this, but it should just cause us to be more expectant and more excited of the fact that we have a permanent structure awaiting us in eternity in heaven that God has provided for us that's not going to break down. That's not going to be corrupted. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Right? Um, and so we can praise the Lord for this, and we can be excited about it knowing, yeah, this body, this body's not what it used to be when I was in my teens. It's not what it was when I was in my 20s, and you know, you can go down the list when 30s, 40s, it's, it's breaking down, but we have a permanent structure awaiting us in heaven. And hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 5, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He says that it's the Lord himself who's providing us this 
this hope, this expectation, this, this eternal dwelling, right? Um, and he, we can know that the Lord is doing this because he's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He says that at the end of verse 5, that word guarantee, it's the word that they would use for a down payment. Isn't that interesting? So, like, if you're serious about buying something, you put down, like, that first installment. Like, I'm serious. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this thing. I'm so serious. Here's a deposit. Um, well, the, the Lord has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, as, as a down payment, as a pledge that he's going to make good on this promise that we have an eternal dwelling in heaven. Um, this word is actually only used three times in the New Testament, and it's every time it's used within that context of the Spirit being given to us as a pledge, the Spirit being given to us as a down payment that the Lord has given to us the Holy Spirit to assure us that we have the hope of heaven. Well, how, how does the Spirit do this? Um, so, I mean, what, is, what does this look like? Why, why should the Holy Spirit and the fact that we have the Holy Spirit give us that assurance? John, Jesus said in John 14, verse 16 through 18, he says, I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus said, I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, and he is not going to just be with you. He is going to dwell in you. And in John 14 through 16, Jesus talked a lot about the ministry of the Spirit. You can go back and, and read it later, maybe, maybe later in the day. Um, but just kind of a few of the things that Jesus said, Jesus said the Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach us. The Spirit's going to come. He's going to convict us. He's going to lead us into the truth. He says the Spirit's going to be our helper. We read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, we're going to receive power to be bold witnesses for Christ. And so if that's true, and we know it is, then we should be able to look at our lives and see the Holy Spirit at work in us. We should be able to see that, that he's made us more holy than the day that we accepted him, right? He's, he's been sanctifying us. We can see that he's been leading us into the truth. We should be able to see that the Spirit has convicted us of our sins. Have you noticed since becoming a Christian, it doesn't feel good to sin anymore, does it? I remember before I was a Christian, I could sin, no problem, didn't really feel bad about it, it's fine. But now that I've become a Christian, it feels bad. That's the Spirit of God convicting you. And anytime that happens, of course, repentance is necessary, but it should also be a cause of rejoicing and knowing, I know that I have the hope of heaven. Because I, I, I remember a time when I wasn't convicted, and yet I have the Spirit of the living God inside of me who's convicting me and teaching me. We should be able to look at our lives and see the fruit of the Spirit being produced. We should be able to see the gifts of the Spirit um, in our lives. Um, when we're filled with the Spirit, there should be a boldness to proclaim the gospel. And as we see these things taking place, this is, this is God's assurance. This is like... I've given you the down payment. Here's the spirit. You have a hope of eternal life um, in heaven with me. The only explanation for these things is the, is the indwelling spirit in your life. It's like as if God is saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit in part to tell you how serious I am about you. In part to tell you, um, I'm so serious about your eternal hope in heaven, I've given you my very spirit, 
and this is the work in, of him in your life. And this is why Paul goes on to say in verses 6 through 8, he, he speaks of our confident expectation. He says this, So we are always confident. Like with all of that in mind, the, the Spirit's been given to us as a, as a guarantee. We're always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul says two times in verses 6 through 8 that we should have confidence. And confidence in what? That we're going to be with the Lord. That, that should be our confidence. That, that should be the thing like, that, that we are assured of as we see our life, as we see the Spirit at work within us. We can have confidence that there will be a day when we come before him and we're with him face to face. And he says, you know, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so even though this isn't our present reality, we can accept it by faith. Even though we don't see it with our eyes, what we see right now is eternal. We can look beyond that through the eyes of faith and know that we have this, this hope of heaven. Do you have that assurance? Do you, do you have that, that confident expectation that one day when you leave this body, you're going to be present with the Lord? This is what he says. He says, it's, it's, we're well pleased to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. God is serious about this. And I think, listen, the Lord wants each believer to have that assurance, uh, to not be living this life constantly questioning whether or not we're saved. Constantly questioning whether or not um, we, we have the hope of heaven. Listen, the Lord went to great lengths to make sure that we could have this assurance. He went to great lengths to make sure that you could have the assurance of heaven. He sent Jesus into the world to be the sacrifice for our sins, didn't he? Jesus went to the cross. We're going to celebrate communion a little later in the service, but remember the fact that Jesus came. He, he came as the sacrifice for our sins. He, he took my sin upon his shoulders and was punished for it, so that way he in turn could give us his righteousness. This is what the Lord has done. Um, Jesus purchased for us a complete salvation. There's a verse in Hebrews that talks about how he saved us to the uttermost, so he didn't leave any stone unturned, right? There, there's no sin that he hasn't forgiven. He saved us to the uttermost. And then he went even further than that, and he gave us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that we could look at his work in our life and know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the Lord's work in my life. This isn't my work. This is something that he's done. This is something that, that he's accomplished. And so I can be confident I can have an expectation, and this isn't a proud confidence. This is a confidence in the ability of my God, who is able to save to the uttermost, who gives his spirit to us as a guarantee. The Lord has gone to great lengths to make sure that we could have this type of assurance, and so, brothers and sisters, don't question it. Don't doubt it. If you've come to saving faith in Jesus, if you've come to him in this way, rest. The Lord has called you to peace. The Lord has called you to rest, to have confidence in his work. You're like, well, I think I, I've, I've had faith. Like, but what if I don't have enough faith? What if I don't have enough faith to save me? How much faith is sufficient to save a person? Remember Pastor Troy said this one time. How much faith is sufficient? Enough faith to pray. 
enough faith to pray. So if you've had the faith to call out upon the Lord and say, Lord, please save me from my sins, that's enough faith to pray. You can have confidence that he sees you, he loves you. You can have the expectation that he will make good on his promise because he's delivered a down payment. And that's the Holy Spirit. He says that we will be absent from the body and present with the Lord, that we're going to be at home with him. Did you know that that's what makes heaven heaven? Is that we're going to be with the Lord? That's what makes heaven so great. Like we, we often talk about, you know, there's going to be no pain, sorrow, suffering, no more tears. Like, and truly, all of that is, is wonderful, and I'm not trying to take away from that, but what makes heaven so wonderful is that's where Jesus is. You know, Jesus prayed a prayer in John 17, actually, and um, this is John 17, verse 3. He was praying to the Father. Um, I'll read verses 2 and 3. It says, As you've given him, speaking of himself, Jesus, authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said, this is eternal life. What is it? What's going to make eternal life eternal life? Knowing the Lord. The fact that we can have a relationship with the Lord. The thing that makes heaven heaven is the fact that we are going to be with the Lord. The fact that we're going to be in his presence. Know him face to face. The thing that makes heaven heaven is that we're going to be with him in his presence. And Paul says, this is our confidence. This is what we can be confident in. Knowing that we're in these tents, they're going to be taken down. But when these tents are taken down and we're absent from this body, we have an eternal habitation from God and we're going to be in his presence forever. Even though we don't see it with our eyes, Paul says, we don't walk with our sight. We walk we walk by faith. We trust and believe, and we're assured of this truth. And so remember, this is all in the context of Paul saying, I've suffered so much for the gospel. I was struck down, but I wasn't destroyed. I've been perplexed, but the Lord's not, the Lord's not abandoned me, right? And all these things, these light, temporary afflictions are working out for me an eternal weight of glory. You know, I really believe that one of the reasons why Paul was so effective in ministry was because he had this confident expectation. This is something that was in his mind continually. You, you read about this all through the epistles and all through Acts. He wasn't afraid to die. He wasn't afraid to give his life to the gospel. He wasn't afraid to, to go all in. Um, he wasn't afraid to endure hardship and persecution and, um, you know, being beaten. He wasn't afraid to be bold for the sake of the gospel, even when he knew that there was going to be some serious consequences for it, right? Why? Because he had this hope. He had this hope that he was going to be with Jesus in heaven, that, that he had a, an expectation that was beyond this lifetime, that was beyond this body, we see this displayed for us in Acts chapter 20. Paul was speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church, and he was giving them instruction. He was saying, hey, listen, there's going to be some, some wolves that come after, after this, and I'm, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and I know that when I get to Jerusalem, it's been prophesied over and over that when I get there, I'm going to be heavily persecuted. But this doesn't sway me. He says this in Acts chapter 20, 
verse 24, he says, None of these things move me, the, the threat of persecution, nor do I count my life as dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. Paul says, I'm not moved. I'm not worried about the persecution. What, what can they do? I don't, I don't even count my life as dear to myself. Why? Because I've got something better waiting for me in heaven. I know that I'm going to be with Jesus, right? He didn't count his life as dear to himself. He's like, so I'm going to be all in. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to shrink away in fear. I'm going to, I'm going to boldly proclaim the gospel. I'm going to finish my race well. I'm going to serve Jesus with everything that I had. Why? Because he had the confident hope and expectation that his body was going to be resurrected to something that is a permanent dwelling place, eternal in the heavens. And this is the same hope that we have as believers. We walk by faith and not by sight. We have this eternal, everlasting hope that we're going to be present with the Lord, that our mortality will be swallowed up in life, right? And so, listen, we shouldn't be overly concerned with what takes place in these bodies, should we? Like, with all of that, with everything that I've said, we shouldn't be overly concerned with what takes place because we have the assurance that we're going to be with the Lord, and so let's be all in. Let's serve Jesus more. Let's, let's go after him harder. Let's, let's be more holy. Let's be more bold. Let's finish our race well. Because guess what? We only get to do this life once, don't we? We only get this, this one opportunity, and then we're going to be with the Lord. And so why wouldn't we put everything that we have into serving Jesus with everything? Right? Now, there's that phrase that says, Maybe you've heard it. It says something along the lines of, well, don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. I despise that saying. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that saying at all. Um, you know, I, I think it comes from, from, you know, I understand why somebody would say that. Like, I don't know if you guys remember it. I don't remember. I was two. But in 1988, there was that book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Does anybody remember that? <clears throat> so few of us do. Um, Man, you know, there were, there were a lot of people who thought, well, Jesus is coming back. Like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to drop out of school. I'm, I read a story about this guy who, like, you know, he stopped doing studies in class. He stopped doing his homework. He was in college. He didn't take any of the tests. And then when Jesus didn't come back in 1988, he had to go back to his professors and be like, can I do some extra credit? Like, I don't, I don't want to fail. Like, and so I think that that saying comes from that heart of, like, no, you still need to work, which, of course, but listen, if we're heavenly-minded, that's going to be the most earthly good, isn't it? Because it's going to cause us to want to make the best of this life, knowing I have a habitation from heaven, right? We should be heavenly-minded. Paul was heavenly-minded, wasn't he? He talked about this all the time. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, right? He, he told the Philippians, for me to, to, to live is Christ, but to die is even better. I think Paul thought about this all the time, and we see the impact that his ministry had upon the world, don't we? We, we see that, that he was probably some of the most earthly good that we've seen because um, it caused him to be all in for the sake of the gospel. It caused him to not shrink away in fear when persecution might come. It caused him to, to proclaim the gospel boldly. Listen, we have eternity set before us. 
eternity, not just a lifetime after this lifetime, an eternal life in the heavens. And this should be what gives us comfort when the afflictions come. This should be what gives us a strength when we might be tempted to shrink away in fear. This is what should give us peace when we see the crazy world that we live in literally falling apart around us, knowing this life isn't it. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm going to be with the Lord forever. This is what gives us the assurance when we face hardships. And so, listen, I think that we all want to be strong believers, don't we? We all want to walk in strength. We want to be lights um, in this crazy world. Maybe let's be a little bit more heavenly-minded. Let's, let's, let's be a bit more focused on the fact that we're going to be standing before our Lord, looking past what we can see with our eyes to those things that we don't see yet, knowing he's given me the Spirit as a pledge, as a guarantee. He's given me a down payment so that I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to be with him, and so I'm going to be all in. Our hearts should be set upon the fact that we're going to be with Jesus one day. This life isn't it. And I believe if that's the case, we're going to be the most earthly good. We're going to be the most earthly good because we're going to want to bring as many people with us as we possibly can. Paul was clearly heavenly minded. He talked about it a lot. And look at how the Lord used him. Look at how he was able to press on through adversity and persecution and slander and infirmity, and affliction. And yet he said, we have this confidence. We can be assured of this fact that this life, it's not it. This isn't it. This isn't the end-all, be-all. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be present with him when this tent is taken down. Therefore, verse 9, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So Paul's saying, listen, as we consider the reality of heaven, um, he says we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be pleasing to him. So whether we're standing before him face to face or if we're still in these bodies, what's our, what's our aim? To be pleasing to the Lord. That word aim, um, it could be translated as, as your ambition or your goal in life. That, that thing that, that makes you go, right? That's our aim. What is the thing that motivates you most in this life? What is the thing that drives you? Listen, the way that the world answers this question should be vastly different from the way that we answer it, shouldn't it? The world is going to say, yeah, I'm driven by money. Uh, I'm driven by entertainment. I'm, I'm driven by pleasure. I'm driven by being a successful person. Um, but our aim in life, Paul says, we should strive for, our ambition should be, whether we're with the Lord or whether we're in these tents, that we would be pleasing to him. That, that he would look upon my life and it would cause him to smile. It would cause him to be pleased that, that as I stand before him, I'd be able to hear him say, 
He did good. (laughs) Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. The thing that should be most important to me and us as believers is that the Lord would look at my life, at the way that I'm living, the way that I'm serving him, at the way that I treat my wife, at the way that, that I'm leading my family, at the way that I work, at the way that I seek him first in how I worship and that he would take delight in these things that it would be a blessing to him, that it would be pleasing to him. This should be our goal. This should be our aim. This should be our ambition in life. There should be no higher ambition than that, whether we're with him face to face or whether we remain in these tents. It doesn't matter. Our aim is that we would be pleasing to the Lord. And if that in and of itself is not motivation enough, look at what it says in verse 10 should completely tip the scales. He says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're going to be standing before the Lord, before that judgment seat. Now, this is not the great white throne judgment that you read of in um, Revelation chapter 20. Um, I think it's Revelation 20, where the Lord is going to be judging unbelievers, and people will be, this is a, a judgment for wrath. They'll be thrown into the lake of fire um, if their names are not found in the book of life. So this is not a judgment for salvation. Um, This is, you know, and so please don't be worried about it in that sense. We just talked a lot about how we should have assurance and and expectation and hope that we're going to be with him um, in heaven. This is a judgment where we're going to give an account to the Lord of our life right? Um, It says, and we're going to receive the things done in the body, whether good or whether bad. 1 Corinthians 3.14 talks about how we're going to receive a reward for the good things that we've done in this life, but the things that were bad or worthless or not eternal are going to be burned up, right? The question is going to be, what did you do with this life? What did you do? You, You had one shot, and so I saved you. I've given you the spirit as, as a pledge. Um, and you're standing before the throne of God, giving an account of what you did with this life. And one commentator compared this judgment to a graduation ceremony. You know, kids graduating from high school. If you've been to a graduation, you know that everybody there who's, you know, graduating, they, they made it, right? They passed. They, they're getting a diploma. Um, everyone's happy. Everyone's joyful. Everyone's really excited to be there. But there are some who stand out in a graduation ceremony, right? There are some who receive special recognition um, and rewards. And then there are others who just barely made it, right? They just bar- they're happy to be there. Like, I'm so thankful like, that I'm graduating. But they just barely squeaked out a passing grade, right? That's how I was in high school. It was like, I didn't get any special recognition at my graduation ceremony. I was just happy to be there that I graduated, right? But there were those um, who received scholarships. There were those who um, received recognition for their studies, right? And this is what it's going to be like at that, that judgment seat before the Lord. We all made it. We're all there. We're all happy to be there. But there will be some where it's like, oh, you just barely made it. <laughs> and then others where it's like, there's recognition. There's, you were pleasing to the Lord. That same commentator said, to overdo the sorrow aspect of the judgment seat of Christ is to make heaven hell. But to underdo the sorrow aspect is to make faithfulness inconsequential. Let me read that one more time. It says, To overdo the sorrow aspect of the judgment seat of Christ is to make heaven hell. 
But to underdo it is to make faithfulness inconsequential. I don't know about you, but I want to stand before the Lord and have him say, well done. Right? I want to stand before the Lord and, and have the Lord say, you, you are pleasing to me. You, you strove hard. I think the bottom line is I don't think that any of us are going to be standing there in that day thinking to ourselves, looking into our Savior's eyes, saying, ah, you know, I wish I experienced the world a little bit more. You know, I wish, I wish that I, I went after my own ambitions a little bit more rather than being all in for you, Jesus. None of us are going to say that. None of us are going to be thinking that. I think the opposite is going to be true. I think that we're going to be standing there saying, Lord, I could have done so much more. I could have been more bold for you. I could have been more radical. I could have worked harder. I could have worshipped you more. Listen, I want to be able to stand before the throne of Jesus and have him there before my eyes and for me to be able to say, Lord Jesus, I gave you everything. I didn't hold back my worship of you. I didn't, I didn't hold back in proclaiming the gospel. I didn't hold back in being your faithful servant. I gave every ounce of strength, every day, every breath was devoted to serving you, Lord. All of my affection, all of my devotion. I wasn't on earth for my own comfort. I wasn't on earth for my own ambition or my own success. I wasn't trying to make this temporary tent a permanent dwelling place. I wasn't so concerned about that. I didn't count my life as dear to myself. Lord, I gave it all for you. I think that that's what we're all going to want to be able to say, right? You can have the confident hope and assurance and expectation that you are going to heaven. The Lord is providing for you an eternal structure a building made without hands, eternal in the heavens. And in this tent, you only get one shot. You get, you get this life. You get what this body that the Lord has given to you, this life, your sphere of influence, and you're going to stand before the Lord. And as if you're a Christian, you're going to graduate, right? You're going to make it into heaven, but you're also going to give an account. And these are things that we should be thinking of, isn't it? Shouldn't we be concerned about what we're going to say to the Lord on that day. I want to be able to say, Lord, I gave everything. I didn't hold back anything. I gave it all for you, Lord. I, I served with all of my strength. I loved you with everything that I had. Well, we're going to take time this morning to remember. And worship team, you guys can make your way up here. Um, but we're going to remember, why, why is all of this possible in the first place? Why is it possible for us that, that we can have an eternal hope, that, that we can know that, that the Lord has done this, and it's because of Jesus. It's because of the cross. It's because um, he went and took his sins, took my sins, rather, in his body, and he was punished for it. He poured out his blood um, for my sins, and even though we don't deserve to be forgiven, we don't deserve heaven. Certainly, we don't deserve a relationship with him. This is what he purchased for us with his blood, and Jesus said, remember. Take time. Take a lot of time to remember. Take a lot of time to reflect upon this. So, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, I thank you so much that this is our hope. Lord, that we have an eternal, everlasting hope in the heavens a structure that is permanent, made by you, 
And Lord, we know that this is all because of your work of salvation. And Lord, we know that this is all because it was in your heart and your kindness and your intention, Lord, to save. And so, Lord, I thank you so much for that, Lord. And, and we, we do remember the fact that you came for us. We do remember the fact that, that it cost you. Lord, it cost you um, your life, Lord. You stepped down from your, your throne of glory and clothed yourself with mortality, with this, this flesh, Lord, as a human. And you suffered for us, and we're so thankful, Lord.